Start by doing what's necessary. Then do what's possible. And suddenly you are doing the impossible. Francis of Assisi everyone and welcome back to Emetophobia Help with Anna Christie. That's me. Um, I want to start today with some of the things I usually put on at the end because some people don't listen all the way to the end. <laughs> so I just want to say that uh, thank you for all of all of the people listening. Um, it's been uh, an interesting year. Um, I do apologize for getting this podcast out two days late. I have no excuse other than getting excited over having holidays and not wanting to uh, do this intro and outro and everything. Um, but seriously, I um, have, I, I want to tell you that I do have some expenses, um, which are related to putting on a podcast, you know, just like less than a hundred bucks a month, but it helps if you buy me a coffee every once in a while. So just scroll down in the notes and you can see the link there and you can buy me a coffee and that would be really great because it's Christmas and like you can't get me a Starbucks card, right? So I'm just saying. Anyway, <laughs> back to the um, regular introduction. Uh, today my guest is Sarah from Austin, Texas in the United States. And Sarah has a great story to tell and some inspiration for you all uh, right before the holiday season. Here we go. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Anna. It's so nice to see you. And I know that our listeners can't see you, but I I'm always thrilled to see my guests. Uh, Sarah is from nearby Austin, Texas in the United States. Um, how's the weather down there this week? It's actually pretty warm. Uh, today is really gloomy, cloudy, overcast. And, um, but it's been my my daughter wore a sleeveless shirt to school today. Oh wow! So and no tornadoes. I mean, that's what I was kind of you know referring Not, to. Oh no no no! We haven't had we haven't been hit with any of the storms lately. Oh yeah, they're they're kind of going north of you, aren't they? They're like just going across the. Um, even yesterday was crazy. There, there's my dog barking that I can edit out later. <laughs> Anyway, okay, well, I'm glad that, that you're not there. And um, gee, God bless the people in uh, Kentucky and all over the United States who have had such um, terrible, terrible destruction and death and loss um, this past couple of weeks. So tell us about your emetophobia, when it started and what it was like for you growing up. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I feel like I've had it as long as I can remember. Um, my mom believes that it might be a result of something that started when I was a baby. So I have a hiatal hernia, which, um, for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's, it's basically where your esophagus attaches to your stomach. There's this little uh, sphincter that opens and closes to keep your stomach closed. And mine doesn't stay closed all the way. And um, 
my dad has that. So I think it's a genetic thing. But whenever I was a baby, no, they didn't know that I had it, but I spit up all the time. And Mm -hmm. my family, my nickname was Sour Sarah because I was sour. (laughs) Oh, that's so sad. I know. But my mom said that I, it, she never felt like it caused me any pain or anything and that my stomach wasn't bothering me um, because I would be smiling when it would happen. But she would always right. have to tell people, if you want to hold her, just you will get vomited on. You, so <laughs> nice. so that, that was what my, my life was like when I was a baby. Um, and then I, I remember whenever I was a young child, I have a few instances where I vomited and what I remember from them was not the the stomach ache in the lead up I remember after the fact um and I always I I think I got panic attacks like it like after it would happen it would scare me hmm. and I generally didn't feel better I felt like my whole body was shaking and um I felt numb and sweaty and pale and all these things. And so I think I don't remember being afraid before. I just remember being afraid after. And my mom would always have a reaction. My mom was a nurse and none of this stuff ever really bothered her, but she always would react in a way that I think further scared me. So she would, Mm -hmm. it all of a sudden she would just, if it was the middle of the night, I would, I remember the covers on the bed, just like flying off and she would jump out of the bed and come and get me and take me to the bathroom. And that scared me, I think. Mm. And so um, I've asked her, I've asked her once, you know, more recently what her, what her thinking was, or if, if it stressed her out, she was like, no, 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 I wasn't worried at all. I just didn't want it to get everywhere. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I think I I remember that from my first, very first therapist, um, who, who said other people are running around just for efficiency, not catastrophe and not like, because there's, they're not afraid. They're not afraid. They're just they're just, um, you know, yeah, in a hurry to kind of get everything uh, sorted, right? As they say in the UK. Yeah, I think that's all it was for her. And I, my perception as a young child was that it was this big, horrible thing that was happening to me. And I already had symptoms of panic. So maybe something in my psyche just kind of ingrained itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got older, I... I remember I started to have stomach aches from, I guess it was from the hiatal hernia. I would get these stomach aches and, um, you know, if I ate too much or if I ate something like junk food, too much junk food or sugar or something like that, my stomach would get, was really sensitive. And, um, I remember at some point I had eaten pumpkin pie for dinner I was probably maybe in the fourth grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or not, I didn't eat that for dinner, for dessert after dinner. Mm-hmm. And I got right. ahead of dinner and, and I started to feel kind of sick. And um, I think because, because of the way that my mom always reacted when I didn't feel well, especially if I felt nauseated 
or my stomach hurt, I wouldn't tell my mom because I was afraid she was going to get the bucket out or make me go to the bathroom. And like, it was going to be this whole thing. And so I would go hide and, um, and I, and this is probably where my OCD started. I, I was diagnosed with OCD, but I would say, recite over and over again in my head, I'm not going to throw up. I'm not going to throw up. I'm not going to throw up. And I would swallow and like, just sit there in this like sheer panic that it was going to happen. And that's what happened this specific night with the pumpkin pie. And that's the first time that I remember actively preventing it from happening and, Mm -hmm. um, and realizing that like, wow, I'm really afraid of this. Um, thing that I don't know if I can control, but I didn't vomit that night. And um, even though it was like probably four hours of laying there in misery. And I think in my child brain and maybe OCD brain, I attributed it to the the swallowing and the reciting and all this yeah. I was doing to keep it from happening were success. They felt successful in my mind. And so I kept doing those things every time. I had, um, when in fact, I'm, I'm sure, you know, now that is not why you didn't vomit. The, these safety behaviors that we employ um, seem like they're working, but actually adults don't vomit very much. You know, if you, if you're not poisoned or really got, you know, a, a viral load from someone, you know, kind of thing. Or, yeah. I mean, you have appendicitis, I don't know, a few different things, but generally, yeah, all, all of the reciting and um, rituals and habits and things that we do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that happened. And then I remember, I remember getting used to, my, the way my stomach felt. Um, cause I do believe like the stomach aches that I was having, I don't think that they were from the anxiety. I was, I wasn't experiencing a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was, I really did have these stomach aches, but I didn't, I couldn't discern, I think nausea from acid reflux. And I started to learn as I got older, what was what, And um, I started to trust my body a little more. And I knew, you know, if I, I could use peppermint oil, I would actually put peppermint oil on my stomach in Mm -hmm. the spot above my hernia and it would, and it really eased it. And so I, I I guess, you know, that is a safety behavior, but it, Mm -hmm. it really calmed it. And so I would do things like that. Um, So it didn't really stress me out and I was able to, pretty much through my twenties, even, um, live a pretty normal life. And I knew how to manage it. And I was, I only remember being really anxious and afraid when someone was sick around me and had like a stomach or something. And that's when I would panic. But other than that, I didn't think too much about it and it didn't affect me too much. Okay. And so, um, Thank you for that um, story. Wow, like fifth grade, you're 10, age 9, 10 is really uh, an an age for for kids to, for this phobia to sort of take hold, you know, even though before that you're afraid for perhaps a lot of people, but there's something about, and uh, if things happen to you in your family when you're about nine or, you know, between eight and 10, um, 
that can really, you know, also sort of make the phobia much more deeply ingrained. You know, like if some there's some trauma or loss or death or even moving from one place to another or, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of stories about nine-year-olds. It's really interesting that you say that because I've never, because that is really when it was, I first became aware of it. And my, both of my grandparents died a day apart when I was oh, 10. Wow. Oh, wow. And now I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that's when all this was going on. Yeah. And it, one one of the things that that does, is it, uh, were they your mother's parents or your father's? So it's a really sad story. Um, my mom's mom had cancer. She had colon mm-hmm. cancer and she died early on a Friday morning. She had been suffering for a long time. Um, so we knew, like we were prepared. Mm-hmm. And she lived in Mississippi and my family, I'm from Louisiana originally. Um, And so my, my dad's parents had a, an hour and a half drive to go up for the funeral and they got in a car accident on the way. And my grandfather died. My dad's dad died instantly. And my grandmother was, um, in the ICU for like six months. And, uh, oh, there. wow. Well, that's terribly traumatic. Um, and what I was going to say is one of the things it does, it's often mother, it, you know, it, it takes mother away from the child, even if not physically, her uh, concentration and her focus and, and she's upset. And, you know, um, she's, she's focused on funeral arrangements and grieving and, you know, all of that kind of thing. I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, I think that counts as a trauma to the child, actually, you know, let alone all of your grandparents and parents trauma, you know, of, of that happening. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is very interesting. So as you've, um, gone through life. You don't look very old to me. You look pretty young. I won't ask. I'll be polite and not ask how old you are. Um, how have you have you been working on trying to get over the phobia? Um, and if so, what, what have you been doing? Yeah, I'll tell you I'm 38. I just turned 38 oh on okay. Monday. I thought Monday. you were in your 20s. Okay. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. I Definitely don't feel like that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I so I have a three and a half year old, and it emetophobia really came back up. It was it, it kind of started when I got pregnant and I had morning sickness, but I kind of pushed it, tried to push that to the back of my head, and I had lots of antiemetics to get me through it. Um, But it was this past year when we were preparing for her to start preschool. So she had been home um, when she was really young. She had a nanny and she would go to play group, be around other kids, Mm -hmm. but usually outside. It wasn't a lot, you know, there wasn't tons of interaction. Um, And then we had the pandemic and she was home isolated with us and her and her grandparents. And that's those are the only Mm -hmm. people she saw. 
So she was in a very controlled environment. And that was so nice for me. Like mm-hmm. I realized how much I was not worried about her getting sick ever. And it was probably April or May of this year. And my husband was like, my husband's an only child and my daughter so far is an only child. And he was like, she's got to go to school. Like she needs some social. She was, he was like, she's bored. And I think he was bringing a lot of his like, you know, worry about her being lonely and he was right, but it was time for her to start school. And I was like, no, I don't want her to go to school. I don't want her to go to school. And I started looking for preschools. I was going and touring preschools and I was a mess. And I was like this, she was going to start in August. And every time I would think about August, I was like, doomsday is coming in Mm. August. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that's, so you were kind of managing your emetophobia with avoidance of anything that would put you in contact with sickness. Yeah. And I mean, that's okay. If someone's like afraid of uh, clowns, you know, you don't go to the circus and you know, or whatever Um, there is a certain amount or, or they're afraid to go on those carnival rides. Well, you just, don't go for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter, you know, but mm-hmm. this, yeah, it's going to rear its ugly head. So that, so then what happened? Is she in preschool? We, I just, I just heard them walk in. Yeah. She, uh, she was at school today. She started in, well, we ended up starting her in September. We held off um, because of the Delta variant mm-hmm. because that was kind of an uncertain thing. But she started in September and I, I started, I kind of put myself through, through an IOP or checked myself into a IOP intensive outpatient program, um, doing exposure and response prevention. I did that for, I can't remember if it was five or six weeks, three hours a day and starting in July. And, um, I did that. And then. And can you share where that was? Yeah, it was, um, there's a facility in Houston. I think it's Houston or Dallas. I can't remember right right now. Um, The Better Living Center for Behavioral Health. And they Mm -hmm. do, they focus a lot on OCD and um, phobias and um, exposure and response prevention and acceptance and commitment therapy are like the two two, primary. Perfect. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) I did did it remotely. So it was kind of like. Yeah. And, and what, can you describe a little bit of the the kind of things you did and how, if, if it helped you or not? Yeah. So um, we started at the beginning. I, was just looking at pictures of vomit. Like I just had to go and Google vomit and like look at pictures. And then we moved into watching videos of animals vomiting. I got to see all kinds of different animals. I didn't even know that they vomited. Um, <laughs> actually, <kind of> fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not horses or rats, right? Because they don't. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, was, that's was, that's why it's the, uh, rats get poisoned so easily because they can't vomit. So you can oh, give them whatever man. you want. But yeah, I, I digress. That's all right. So animals. Okay. You watched some animals and then 
Yeah, then we move and and it, we started with sound off, so I'm really triggered by the sound of it more right. than yes. of it. Yeah. Um oh, I had to watch The Bridesmaid, which I I you talked about that on one of your podcasts that I heard. The movie Bridesmaids. I had to watch that scene, <laughs> The Bridesmaid. It's if you don't I promise you folks listening when you get over your emetophobia, treat yourself to that movie because if you don't have emetophobia, it is hilarious. It's just hilarious. Uh, every, uh, like so many things about it are hilarious, let alone yeah. that scene. That scene um, Melissa McCarthy, just brilliant. Uh, what, did it really scare you, though, watching that scene at, at that point? What scared me more than watching the scene was thinking about watching the scene before exactly. I watched it. Mm -hmm. it was yeah. the lead up and I remember telling my husband I was like it was the night before and and my therapist had told me tomorrow I want you to watch this before we get started and I was like I'm so scared to watch that scene and he was like oh I remember that scene that was hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah and and what was it how did it end up like feeling for you when you watched it it was hardest the first time I watched it. And I think it was uh, because I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. I knew what was going to happen. I was able to really force myself to keep my eyes, you know, keep my eyes on it and pay attention and really try to be in it. Um, and then it wasn't so bad. And I watched, I don't know how many times I watched it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't so bad. And I think by the end, I was like, yeah, this is pretty funny. <laughs> right. Once the fear is gone, isn't that interesting? Once the fear goes away, then you're like, oh, that's really funny. You know, like not so much the person vomiting actually in the scenes. Melissa McCarthy's sitting in the sink and <laughs> saying, don't judge me. You know, that's so funny. And then the the bride, she runs across the road. It's not happening, you know, because she has like explosive yeah, diarrhea in a $25,000 wedding gown that she's just trying on. Yeah, th those things are funny. But uh, yeah, I just read on my Facebook group uh, today because I, I did start a Facebook group. I should mention it every podcast called Emetophobia No Panic. And basically, we don't censor words and we just you can't go there and panic about something. Um, it, it's for people who are wanting to recover and talk to one another about, you know, recovery. But this one lady who has been on my podcast last season said she watched, I can't remember what it was she watched, but she watched it 200 times. I was like, wow, I thought I had the record when I watched Stand By Me vomit scene 100 times, but well, Kelly holds the record now. She's probably listening um, 200 times. Yeah, I, I wish I could remember what she watched. But um, so hopefully you didn't have to watch it that much. Well, I went on to watch much more intense ones. Okay. And then, I mean, I remember this one video that I watched. Oh, man, my YouTube, my YouTube account was hilarious the kinds of stuff they were recommending to me but right <laughs> it was uh it was the scene of a of a little girl it was just a, a, it wasn't from a movie it was from someone yeah. videotaped it happening mm -hmm. in the car and um and I watched that one over and over and over again and oh my gosh it like it got to the point where I was like my therapist kept telling me and I was like 
I'm so bored of that video. Do I keep- <laughs> you were saying that or she was saying that? I got I got to that point where oh, I was yeah mm-hmm. the video because I just I was like, can I get a new vomiting video to watch? Right. Yeah. And it was was a little girl vomiting in a car in mm-hmm. the in the back seat and then some and the person driving doesn't even really care. I don't know if it was that one or uh, not. They take them down. Oh quite yeah, maybe you maybe you've seen it. It's the, yeah. the all, they're all kind of laughing and screaming and there's a, and the little girl is vomiting and yeah. uh yeah. Well, yeah. the YouTube takes down um videos of children vomiting now. I guess mm-hmm. they've just decided that it's you know, it's it's non-consensual exploitation or something. You know, cuz the kids could maybe get bullied at school or or whatever. I I I think it's good. I think it's good. Yeah. Um on the one hand I'm a little disappointed cuz I used to have a few up on my website, you know, for people to kind of get used to, especially kids in cars. Um, yeah. And, and then yeah. and that one was really all gone. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That one was really useful. And I think one of my bigger triggers, especially this year. And since I've had my daughter was children vomiting. So I needed mm-hmm. really needed to desensitize myself to that. And um, I couldn't imagine going through it and not, watching those. Right. Right. And so you found it helpful? Yeah, I really did. Um, it was, you know, between the exposures. Um, I mean, I, I also had to do some contamination exposures, like touching things and eating food. And cause I have the contamination OCD aspect of it is a big part right. of my phobia. Um, and that was really, really helpful for me. Um, and the acceptance and commitment therapy was also a really big one because I, I think before I knew about ERP and before I knew how to manage this disorder, I was doing all the wrong things in my head. And um, I was doing a lot of thought neutralization and catastrophizing and all this stuff and what ifs. And the acceptance and commitment therapy helped me to just say, yeah, maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't happen. Whatever happens, I'm going to be okay and I'll get through it. And like just having that to respond to the thoughts, um, Mm -hmm. changer for me. Yeah. And the acceptance part of it is accepting that sometimes you just have to tolerate the anxiety that comes up without using a safety behavior, without leaving the situation or avoiding it, and without trying to control the anxiety and by bringing it down. Sometimes, you know, if it's not too high, if it goes sky high, you kind of need to do something like breathe or relax to try to bring it down. But if it's, you know, five out of 10 or something, we can just put kind of put up with that. And if you tolerate it for long enough, it stops showing up. It doesn't, you know, it's like it says to you, your brain says, oh, well, she's not running away and she's not doing anything. So I guess it's not dangerous, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we know all that logically, but it's not the logical part of our brains that's malfunctioning. You know, it's the survival part of our brains, which is why it's so scary. Yeah. So what's it like for you now? Your daughter's in 
preschool? And do you think about it very much? I do. I mean, I think it's going to be a long road for me. I'm not over it, but I'm also a lot more willing to put myself and my daughter and our family into situations where there are germs and sicknesses, Mm -hmm. we can get sicknesses from them. Um, And so far we haven't had any. Mm-hmm. And oh well, she's gotten sick. She's had colds and stuff, but she hasn't had a stomach thing. I know it's going to happen at some point, but she's so happy at school, and mm-hmm. we're so happy. Like I wasn't before this. I wouldn't take her to public places by myself. Like I couldn't go to the grocery store with my daughter, um, partially because of the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, I wouldn't go alone with her. I was just so afraid. I would get so anxious about everything she was touching and all this stuff that I couldn't do it. And a few weeks ago I was visiting my family in Louisiana and my husband was working. So he didn't, you know, he was, he was stuck at home all day and she and I were just hanging out and I was taking her all over the place by myself. And I remember just being like, this is so fun to yeah. bring her places and not be afraid of everything. Right. Oh, how wonderful that is. Three and a half. My youngest grandchild just turned four. And so I know they're just adorable at that age. And they're talking yak, 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 and saying funny things. And, you know, um, just beautiful little human beings. So uh, I just love it that you said it was fun. Because fun is missing in a lot of emetophobics lives. Um, it's really hard to have fun yeah, because a lot of the fun things are, you know, scary. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we can't go to the, to the carnival and, and get on the tilt a whirl uh, (laughs) for fun. (laughs) We don't even want to be in that part of the park, you know? Um, And when I say we, I I don't mean me anymore, but me in the past, definitely. So um I wouldn't go on. The, I've been on the tilt a whirl uh, just to prove that I could go. I wasn't afraid of vomiting, but I didn't like it. I just didn't like it, and I didn't like going down some mountain in a in a like some kind of boat thing in water, falling to your death and then splashing at the bottom. Yeah, no, didn't like that either. So um, I stand and watch. But uh, yeah, well, Sarah, you, you know you're going to be. Um, a wonderful inspiration to people when they listen to this podcast, because um, so many people can relate to your story. So many people can relate to having OCD diagnosed and having that ritualistic behavior and um, the bravery that you kind of showed for um, just being willing to get over it. Yeah. Um, We do have a fair number of listeners in Texas. And I know in Austin, there are a number of anxiety disorder clinics and programs. um, And they, uh, you know, if you go to my website, which you look down in the notes, you'll see the link and uh, go to the therapist list and you'll see a bunch of help in Austin. particularly. So they're going, doing good work down there. So thank yeah. you so much for being with us today. And um, Take care. Thank you <laughs> so going. much. 
My website has a number of resources, both for emetophobics and for clinicians who are treating emetophobia, particularly a great hierarchy of exposure therapy, all there for you on the website. It's all free. You don't have to put your email in. You There's no advertising on the website. Uh, that's emetophobiahelp.org. Uh, so I will um, not be putting out a podcast for the next couple of weeks. I am away on holiday. And uh, if you celebrate Christmas, I wish you a very, very Merry Christmas to everyone else. Happy New Year. And let's all hope and pray that 2023 is better than the last two years. Stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye.